And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Mr. Scott, shall we give the Enterprise a proper shakedown? I would say it's time for that, sir. I... Before this drama unfolds, we give welcome to the ones named Kirk and Spock. You! What planet is this? Which one of you is the captain? Violate the treaty, Captain. Sir, someone is stealing the Enterprise. What are you scratching at? <laughs> Humans make illogical decisions. Destruction sequence completed and engaged. No! Yes, I found it! Starfleet, do you read? This is the Enterprise. We are under attack. Fireman Scott. And welcome to Star Trek Monthly Monday, number 59. <laughs> I'm Chris Honeywell, and this is the old school edition of Star Trek with Chris Honeywell and Scott Gardner. That's you. <laughs> As they say on Vulcan, live long and eat my shorts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a Kirk edition. Yes. I'm looking forward to this one. I really yeah. am. Well, for for the comic mostly, I have to be honest oh, with really? you. All, all the, well, yeah, well, I mean, I don't want to tip my hand too early. This uh, this episode, it, it's strange because I remember this episode not doing a lot for me for, as a kid. And, uh, you know, it didn't do a whole lot for me as an adult watching it again either. But uh, we'll, we'll get into that here oh. shortly. But, uh, what's new for you? Anything? Uh, busy, busy, busy. I understand you scored something. Oh, yes, I did. I scored something Star Trek. I thought you were going to say, I understood you scored, and I'm like, did I? <laughs> <laughs> when did I'm that happen? Score. <laughs> I've been too busy. I mean, scored usually, I mean, you're. that would mean, that would sort of hint at another person. <laughs> Otherwise, anyway. Yeah, I got um, some Star Trekky books from a used bookstore. Star Trek's log logs one through four. 
No, those are the Alan Dean Foster animated, animated series adaptations, adaptations, right? Yeah. They're the animated God. adaptation version of the, you know, Star Trek 1, 2, I think it was t- up till 10 or 11. I can't remember. I wish I had the time to dig through. I'm not even sure I have those anymore. I used to have, I don't know if I ever had all of them, but I know I had quite the little run of them. And the ones that I had were, they were a mix of the ones where it had a cover photo of like a cell from one of the episodes. Mm-hmm. And then the late, one of those later reprints where it was just the enterprise in like a different position each time. Right. On the cover. Right. It was a, it was a mix of those, but you know, a whole bunch of my star Trek books from like between like the time of the TV series. And then the time of when those timescape books started to come out, mm-hmm. like just about, all of my Star Trek books from that period went missing at some point between one of my many, many, many moves. And I, I don't know whatever happened to them. And I've slowly tried to rebuild them over time, but it's been a half-hearted attempt because I knew I'd probably never either read them or reread them. Mm-hmm. So I, I haven't tried real hard, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I do. I, I think I did. Of the ones that I had of those Star Trek logs, I think I actually had read those at some point. Because I remember there was one of them that I always wondered, is this where they got the idea for the holodeck? Because I can remember it being, I want to say it was like Sulu and Chekhov, I think, were like playing around in like a cargo bay or something mm-hmm. with something that was... Basically, it was like a proto-holodeck. And I thought, hey, that's a really cool idea. So then when they did it on Next Gen, I felt like I kind of had the leg up. Like, okay, I, I've, I've heard this concept before. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I have no idea what episode that, or, you know, what, what book it was or what story it was. Or even if it's if it made it into the actual animated episode that was adapted in that tale. I have no idea, but... I just thought that was really cool. I'd love to read it again at some point, but I just, like I say, just I'll never have the time for that with all the other shit on my plate with books and everything else. Well, would I? And I'm. Oh, hmm? oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say, and I remember another story. Although this may not be in the logs, but there was another one that predicted the internet, oh. and it was where Kirk went onto his computer. And they were talking about basically a bulletin board type of system where people would go in to, to leave information or, or make a comment. It was kind of like – it was almost like a Star Trek version of like uh, a bulletin board or almost like Facebook. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was it was one of these things where you could go in and do these things and it was open to everybody and there were no repercussions. I'm not sure how that worked. I and Kirk went in there and saw something that he didn't particularly care for, but that was kind of the nature of it was that it was everybody understood that Kirk saw something know, he didn't s- care for on the internet. <laughs> oh my God. I, I would love to know what story that was though. I can't remember, but again, you know, when, when the internet started to come along, I remember thinking, Hey, I remember something like this in star Trek. So I imagine by the 23rd century, Facebook will be outlawed. If there's any justice <laughs> in the, in the universe but i what i remember about those books is I, I i haven't read them in a long time and i don't i think i only read a couple of them 
but um, the Star Trek, the um, Star the adaptations of the TV shows were almost the James Blish ones were like really close to the bone, and mm-hmm. were very you know pretty much just sort of like uh, treatment with personality, you know. Right. And uh but these ones are, you know, adapting a story that's half as long, you know, for a for a half hour animated show. So I seem to remember there was a lot more filling it, you know, Alan Dean Foster got to put in a little more imagination into it. So he got to flesh them out and and do more internal dialogue. So I'm sort of looking forward to reading those. The the James Blish ones I really have no um desire to read them again because you know we, we, we cover it's almost like you know we were covering the shows you know so it's almost like it's almost like going to wikipedia <laughs> and reading the uh the long form synopsis of it or something again if i had just tons of time i wouldn't mind reading those as, as a matter of fact i wouldn't mind you know we're, we're it's far too late to do it now but as we've been doing these episodes, I wouldn't mind having read the James Blish uh, adaptations of the episodes as kind of a compare and contrast. Mm-hmm. It's funny because I never really even thought about that until now. And I've known now for quite some time that, say, for example, Who Mourns for Adonis, that Blish's story is supposed to have a lot more meat to it uh-huh. and, and incorporates a lot more stuff from earlier scripts. So there's things that happen in that story, you know, in his uh, adaptation of it than actually happen in the episode itself. For example, what's her name ending up pregnant with Apollo's baby, which ended up being a story point used later on by Peter David in his new frontier novels. So I'm intrigued by that idea, but again, you know, who's got time? Yeah. But it's a shame because I remember, this is going back, God, probably 10, 15 years, maybe even more than that. I remember at one time, uh, I dumped all of my James Blish novels for like pennies at some bookstore somewhere. I was just like, I just, I'll I'll never read these. And I, I always had a very low opinion of them because for one thing they were a dime a dozen at one time mm-hmm. you know you you couldn't swing a short stick and not hit a james blish yeah. star trek they were book like james a, bond a, books yeah they were everywhere and i had a million of them i may have had all of them i'm not sure but at, you know i just i got sick of them at one point i needed to clear out and make some space so i just you know bundled a whole bunch of them up dumped them at a used books you know one of those like credit for you know, credit for exchange yeah. type of bookstores, and I got nothing out of them. Basically, I just really all I did was get rid of them, and I really regret it now because I never really appreciated them. I thought they were just run of the mill adaptations, and I didn't really think that much. I don't know that I ever actually read any of them. They're still not mm-hmm. hard to find. They're still right. I think I only need like a couple to complete my collection. I think the only reason I'd ever collected them in the first place and kept them so long as I did is I liked the covers. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I ever read any of them. I think the only James Blish ro- a novel I've ever read was, didn't he write uh, Spock Must Die? I think so, you're right. I think and you're right. I didn't think that much of that either. You know, Not that it was bad or anything, but 
you know, when I when I got into Star Trek novels, the whole reason I got into them was mostly for the Timescape books because, as stupid as it sounds, I liked the covers. And I wasn't yet versed enough in, in the world of Star Trek to realize that they were doing those covers and the covers really had very little to do with the stories inside. But, of course, the covers they were putting on there invariably either featured everybody in their... Um, Star Trek the motion picture uniforms or in their Star Trek two era uniforms. And so I just liked the covers and, and, you know, I was obsessed with the movies at the time because that's what there was. Mm -hmm. That was what was out was just the, you know, the first two or three movies and looking back on it now, almost all of those movies are set during the original series, but I didn't know that, you know, I had no idea. So I was able to, in my mind, it played as, you know, this was going on between the movies, and, and so that was the era it was set, and I enjoyed them for that, for that fact. The ones that were clearly set during the old TV show, I just never liked as much. As, and that's weird to me, because as much as I'm yeah. a huge fan of the TV show, obviously, we're doing this show, right? I've never really liked printed stories set during the original TV show. For one, I never feel like they capture the feel of 60s Trek. Because 60s Trek has a very distinct feel to it, and it it's seldom recaptured. because yeah, They it was were just, mostly it was, like sci-fi stories with the, those characters in it. Right. Or worse, they were <laughs> uh, you know, they were like fanfic. Yeah. Because I find that a lot, a lot of the early Star Trek books, looking back on them now, or even some of them at the time, felt like you know Mary Sue stories mm-hmm. or thinly disguised, what do they call it, Kirk and Spock stories, yeah. which is just you, you know? <laughs> and then the, a lot of the latter-day ones felt to me like this person would really much rather be writing a next-gen book, but for whatever reason, they're writing... TOS mm-hmm. and they don't have a feel for it. They don't understand the differences. You know, when you're calling Kirk's landing party an away team, you obviously don't know what the hell you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. So stop writing and go away, you know. Write what you're familiar with. So but we're gonna be talking all about writing what you're familiar with because woo, I didn't get that feeling at all from the comic this time around. Oh. God bless Mike Carlin, but oh, he don't know Trek from Drek. I'm telling you what. Yeah, it's gonna be. Yeah, it's gonna be an interesting one. Yeah. Um, so I have only one more thing, vaguely Star Trekky, sort of. It'll have the mention of Star Trek in it. We have six, count them, six new members on the Two True Freaks podcast page, and we're whipping towards three hundred. Sweet. I think we're at 263 members. Is that all we have, man? I thought we had more than that. Come on, guys. What? What the hell? So we only. Need I know we certainly have more than more. We certainly have many more than that regular listeners. So that tells me that not everybody who listens is part of the Facebook group. What is up with that? Well, maybe they're smart and they're not part of Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> if they are, if you're on Facebook, it's too late. You might as well just join the Two True Freaks group anyway. And Well, you know, come to think of it, too, is that not long ago we, we had some shenanigans on our Facebook group. And I can tell you, now that this is officially 2014, we're, we're working much harder to not allow that sort of thing. So yeah, that... if you had been part of the group and, and for whatever reason decided that uh, you didn't want to be anymore, 
come back and give us a try again because we're we're gonna do much better here i believe here in the future to to get back to that feeling of just a bunch of pals hanging out shooting the breeze about comics and star trek and star wars and all the other geeky stuff we talk about As, so it's no different than anything that's ever happened on anybody's facebook page <laughs> they know they know what we mean yeah but we're better than that mm-hmm. you know or at least i i want to be so yeah so but let enough me, let me give the uh shout outs here we got Eugene Hendricks. Ah, I just recently friended him, too. Um, nice guy. And here's someone we both know, Walter Bonham. Has, Who has joined or was added by Jason Hendricks. So whether it was by his own <laughs> volition or not, <laughs> welcome aboard, Walter. <laughs> um, Brian Barrett, better known as Brain, who's a <laughs> pal of mine here in... Uh, in Rochester, but I didn't put him up to it, so that's cool. He must have just found out. I should have put him up to it. I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, yeah, I don't know what the hell's wrong with you either. Renee Freisinger? Freisinger? I don't know. That sounds like a, that sounds like a girl. Maybe. <laughs> Amazing. And uh, Daniel Anderson? Good old Danny Anderson. <laughs> cool. And I believe... Oh, and David Krausen. And, uh, Welcome aboard. And David Krausen left a nice... And this is... this is, I, I mean, anybody who hears their name or is just a new member, you know, when you when you join the group, pop up and say, Hi, my, you know, tell us who you are and how you got here or whatever. Whatever you want to say. Specifically, I want to know how you got here. I, I want to know how were you referred, how did you discover us, whether it was just... You know, you listen to another show, something we guessed it on, whatever, or you just stumbled completely ass backwards into it. You know, you were doing a Google search for, you know, some weird fetish thing, and all of a sudden we popped up. So let it, let me know. I'm very curious about that. I'm always curious how people find the show. Well, I'm, I'm going to read David Krausen did exactly that. So he gave a nice little template for people. Cool. Who pop in and uh, he said uh, thanks for the ad guys I've been listening for most of the past year and I really enjoy your shows Ah, I like putting I like pronouncing putting things pops? like I think people are saying them or I would want them to say them <laughs> so okay so hey, look this goes right along with our scheme I found back to the bins listened all the way through those ding ding oh ding ding, ding and went from there Really helps the work day go by. Ding, 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 ding. Bonus points. Listening at work. Always always good in our book. Plus, it's <laughs> nice to hear guys my age talking about comics and stuff like that I like. Always oh, old, awesome. too. <laughs> <laughs> I've gone through Star Wars Monthly Monday. I, too, love Marvel Star Wars. Good, good. Sweet. And Star Trek as well. He is scoring all the brownie points. Which I, I all caps, really enjoy. <laughs> Great stuff and very funny. There's nothing wrong with laughing at some of the goofiness of the things we love. That's that's a good thing, because we'd be in trouble if uh, <laughs> it was wrong. And Chris, whoever you are, you can put me down as another Kurt Vonnegut, Zappa, Beefheart, and Eugene Chadbourne fan. He lives oh, down here in Greensboro, cool. you know, so. <laughs> so another Southern boy. 
Keep up the good work, and thanks again. And who, say it one more time. Who is this? This is David Krausen. Krausen? David Krausen. Cool. I'm, I'm if assuming you, it's if Krausen. You haven't, if you haven't already friended me on Facebook, uh, David, send me, a friend, send me a friend request. Yeah, me too. But yeah, I think I think that's awesome. I like that. Oh, I'm telling so you, back finding to a Eugene Chadbourne fan is finding like a rusty, tiny needle in a giant haystack <laughs> filled with cow patties. <laughs> A beautiful image. <laughs> well, before we get into, did you have anything else before nope. we move on to another? Just killing segment? my Facebook page so it doesn't go bloop, bloop, bloop. I really, you know, I hate that that it makes noise now. Especially Shut up! how popular we are, and it's just bloop, 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 bloop. Oh yeah, exactly. I, the minute I log into it, it's uh, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like the. The, the thing on the uh, in sick bay, you know, or, or on the bridge of the Enterprise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like a, like Morse code or something. Oh my God, shut up already. Yeah, the price of being popular. I guess. I shouldn't bitch. That's what all I ever wanted in high school, and Lord knows it didn't happen back then. So, anyway, moving along. Uh, I really, really, really appreciate that folks have really stepped up and answered my call to send us some damn email because there is nothing sadder than sitting down to prep the show and going, well, hey, we can pad things out a little bit by doing some email only to discover the you sack got is empty. Done. Yeah, exactly. That Oh, that I sucks. I hate having so, an empty sack. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet you do. But this time around... We got some feedback, so I really appreciate this. We got some good stuff here. So we're going to go ahead and jump right into this because we got a couple that are rather lengthy, and I want to make sure that we have plenty of time to get to all this. So first one here is just simply entitled Trek Thoughts. And I do apologize. These go back just a little bit, but uh, I wanted to let them build up a little bit so we had, uh, had a few to cover. So this one is from uh, December 4th. Says here, greetings, freaks. Not much to say regarding specific episodes. I'm just enjoying your TOS and TNG coverage as usual. As usual, it's a good time to be a Trek fan. There have been a, a lot of cool products recently, from the complete TOS soundtrack set uh, from La La Land Records to the one 350th scale TOS Enterprise model kit from Round Two Models. Ooh, that sounds cool. Says, as a modeler, I'm especially looking forward to putting this baby together. You know what's funny is my dad, you know, like I collect comics. My dad collected and built model cars. He's done it all of his life, you know, since he was a, just a wee tyke. You would think at least some of that skill might have filtered down a little bit. Not a whit. Not, I sucked at building models. And maybe if I'd put a little more effort into it and, in, in, you know, one of those, you know, try, try again type of things. But listen, to I only this. ever built it. Hmm? What is it? That is the Star Trek USS Enterprise AMT model, the 18 inch one. Oh. The classic. Mike Cross had one that he picked up at a garage sale that I picked up at his garage sale. Sweet. And I had that model when I was a kid. And I was okay at models. I mean, 
your dad was fantastic at models. Your oh, dad, yeah. did, you know, he did all the like extreme detail. You know, he made little. He 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 not he took those model kits and transformed them into a, you know, detailed model of the car. You know, he was air, you know airbrushing all the little parts and stuff. Did you ever see? You probably didn't, because I don't think you and I were friends yet. This is how how long ago this was, but there was a. Uh, it was either a birthday or a Christmas, and I'm leaning towards Christmas. But there was a Christmas where my father built the Enterprise, the the TOS TV Enterprise, Ooh. for Randy. Because Randy, this was before I had any interest in Star Trek. I knew what the Enterprise was, and that was about it. You know, I knew it was from you know this show, and that was about it. But I remember my dad built that, and it kicked ass it was one of the few times my father built something that wasn't a car right right because he, he almost exclusively built cars truck you know vehicles you know real things and but this time he did he tackled the enterprise and it was awesome i remember the only thing that i thought was weird about it was the shuttle bay door uh he painted it orange because once he painted it orange and in the, the the texture of it and the and the way the the doors were like corrugated like a garage mm -hmm. door it looked like a pumpkin sticking out of the back of the enterprise it was really weird looking mm -hmm. so i always that always stuck in my mind that it just looked funny because it was the wrong color and it looked like a pumpkin but other than that i mean just you know my father i mean he just had an incredible de you know eye for detail with shit like that but it was probably it was the one same of the model that i did and i couldn't get the damn nacelles to stay on it i like, yeah i had the same problem i built the the movie one that was probably right around i don't know 82 83 it was it was between like 3 uh, when, uh, when 2 ceiling, and 3 were right? yeah yeah and it kept falling and the nacelles would break and by the time I finally ditched it, I it had like you know the 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 glue for the nacelles weighed more than yeah, anything it, else because exactly. it had been glued like a million times. I glued mine so heavily that the glue degraded the little tabs that you know were supposed to go in to hold the nacelles in, and it would just bleh, just melted it <laughs> with with glue trying to get it to to work. See, I want to go up and, and see my folks sometime and, and spend some time digging around in my dad's stuff to see if he still has uh, – there was a, uh, a Star Trek, the motion picture. It was the Vulcan shuttle, the one with the detachable skids mm -hmm. that Spock – you know, the courier ship? Yeah, yeah. That Spock comes over to the Enterprise on, you know, about, about what – that's about a third of the way into the movie. Somebody got that for me at, again, Christmas or, or birthday. I can't remember whatever year the motion picture came out. Like, what was that, 79, 80, something like that. Yeah. Thinking that I would like this because I like Star Wars. You know, I don't think, I think, again, it was one of those relatives that didn't know the difference kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was cool. I mean, because the box is really cool and everything. I, so if I'm not mistaken, I don't think I ever took the shrimp shrink rack off the box i think i just handed it to my dad and was like hey can you build this for me sometime and of course my dad was always like yeah sure whatever and then it just goes in the pile never to be seen again but i i bet you he still has that because i never knew him to throw away a model even if it was something he had no intention of ever building mm -hmm. you know like me with my comics yeah you know, if i have no intention of ever reading it it still gets bagged it's in into the blood and, yeah it's there somewhere 
So I bet you he still has that thing somewhere, and I'd, I'd love to see it again, you know, because I don't know that I've ever seen it again after that, you know? I, I, I don't know that it's particularly rare or valuable, but it would just be neat. But yeah. I could not get him to, to build models for me to save my life because I, I to my recollection the only other things i ever saw him build that weren't cars and trucks was he built uh an r2 that was awesome that was the one that had like the little doors little panels that were i actually had that open. i had that model I, I mean he did a great job on that he built me that and he built uh, a girlfriend of mine he built the tim burton batman batmobile you know the one from the first wow. from the first film it was really nice. You had the little machine guns and all. It was really nice. And he got one of those uh, plastic model cases for it, you know, mm-hmm. so it could like be on display. It was really beautiful. I kind of hated to give it away because he'd done such an incredible job. But off the top of my head, those are the only things I can ever remember him building. And I mean, there certainly were some awesome model kits over the years for all kinds of different, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek. I always wanted a Klingon battle, you know, like a movie style Klingon battle cruiser, but I knew that if I got it, he wouldn't build it, so I never got one. And then that makes him sound, I just realized it makes him sound like an asshole or something. It wasn't that, it was just he was always busy doing his own stuff. So it was like, you know, you'd go to him and and ask, hey, dad, would you put, and he had the, he had the. Plus, he was working like 800 hours a week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he worked like a slave, but. You know, I mean, he had every intention. So he would tell you, and I, I could tell he meant, oh, yeah, sure, you know, throw it on the pile, and it just would never happen. You know, he was always busy, you know, working on his own. So I, I just wanted to make sure I didn't make him sound like, well, he was just a jerk that wouldn't build anything for me. No, it wasn't that. It just just never happened. But uh, anyway, where was I? Back in an email. <laughs> back to this email. He says, uh, as, a modeler, uh, as a modeler, I'm especially looking forward to putting that baby together. Send us pictures yeah, when you do. Pictures. I want to see that. Yeah, I want to see that. Says anywho, I'm a huge fan of Trek, TOS in particular. The original Star Trek is my single favorite TV series of all time. I've collected tons of books, both fiction and making of, models and prop replicas from the series. I spent my entire life enjoying it and studying it. It has a power that the later incarnations, in my opinion, have failed to recapture. I enjoy the spin-off series to varying degrees, uh, except for Enterprise, which failed for me as a TOS prequel on every single level. Oh, that's a shame. It says, but the strength of the characters and stories have kept me coming back to TOS again and again. I managed to get some of my younger friends into TOS as a pulp, uh, excuse me, as a pop culture Excuse me, as pop culture becomes more and more decentralized, more and more kids have no knowledge of TOS and the profound effect it has had on nerd culture. It kills me to see young people call TOS cheesy and boring when they've never even seen a single episode. I've done what little I can to get people to think outside the box and appreciate TOS uh, on both the entertainment and pop culture history levels. The spin-offs have done a lot to bury the memory of TOS, which has often been treated as that wacky, cheap-looking thing which is best left forgotten. And then there's Abrams and company, who finally made Star Trek quote-unquote cool by sucking its brains out with a swirly straw and making a grotesque parody of it. Brains. It's merely the latest in a long line of reboots and remakes coming out of creatively bankrupt Hollywood which bank on a brand name recognition of classics. 
As I said to a friend a while back, it comes down to classic names being slapped on to, uh, onto crappy movies filled with explosions and titties. I it's really the staggering. titties in Into Darkness, but go on. Oh, wasn't, wasn't What's-Her-Name prancing around in her underpants? Yeah, but that's Carol Marcus? titties. Eh, I mean, it's same thing. Yeah, She's, yeah. It's, it's a titillation but, factor. Yes, yes. It's really staggering how much of an impact the third season has had on the public perception of Trek in terms of cheap sets, bad effects, hammy acting, and overall cheese. See, I was going to wait to get through this section before I commented, but I will just say I don't think you can dump that all on the third season, dude. I, I honestly, this, of course, is coming from someone who loves TOS. I think all of TOS was kind of riddled with that problem. It's not entirely a third season problem. Anyway, I'll defend the first two seasons of uh, to the death. They are not cheesy or boring or campy. It's highly unfair to judge it by modern standards. As with vintage comics, I appreciate... Uh, and accept the fact that TOS is the specific product of a specific era, and therefore I don't laugh or take cheap, uh, te- yeah, I can't talk tonight, cheap shots at it. And I'm not embarrassed by it, as so many other fans often seem to be. The production team was turning out intelligent stories, brilliant characters, and then state-of-the-art movie-quality visual effects on a weekly TV show's budget. The sleek, clean ship set and equipment designs of Matt Jeffries are far more futuristic to me than the clunky, over-detailed technology of the later shows and movies, which suffer from Star Trek, uh, excuse me, from Star Wars-style greeblyization. What the hell is greebly? I, sorry, I don't get the reference, dude. Greeblyization? That's a new one on me. me too. Explain that. <laughs> you have to write and explain that one to me, Greg. I'm not sure what you're saying there. It says, if those designs uh, were realized with today's modern materials and techniques, I think they'll, they'd still be timeless. I, I agree with you there. I mean, a lot of that stuff has become reality and looks much the same as what Jeffries came up with. Let I me mean, look at cell phones. Tablets. Yeah. Essentially, the Abrams films are Star Trek for jocks. Amen. I completely agree with you. Horribly written action films based on every Trek cliche and stereotype floating in the pop culture consciousness. Kirk the rule breaker, Kirk the womanizer, character catchphrases, con tribbles. I really don't want Star Trek to be remembered as Abrams' demo reel for Star Wars, but that's essentially what these films are. And because of the get-out-of-jail-free time travel slash alternate universe angle... Longtime fans have bent over backward to fit, uh, to fit the films into canon when they're clearly reboots, made with no real understanding of or respect for the source material. As generic space adventure films, they're passable. But as Star Trek, no way. Mind you, I've only seen the first film since I managed to score free tickets. I've decided to vote with my wallet and so have yet to see Into Darkness. And thanks to uh, reviews and commentaries, including those of the esteemed Mr. Honeywell. I don't think I've ever heard of Mr. Honeywell in the same sentence before. (laughs) I see no reason to change my mind. Well, I'm rambling now. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're making very bad points. I hear what you're saying. Uh, So I should wrap this up. Thanks for keeping the Trek flame burning. And this is from Greg... 
Kirkman. Thank you very much, Greg, for a very intelligently written letter. I didn't find it rambling at all. And, uh, dude, I, uh, you're preaching to the choir, buddy. This is the same yeah. shit I've been attempting to say for quite some time, just written a hell of a lot better. See, my emotions get in my way when I try to verbalize this stuff. But it, it, exactly. I loved what you said about Star Trek for jocks. That's exactly my problem with this. It's funny. I meant to tell this story a while ago. This is going back. This is going back to November. There was a night when uh, when my wife and kids took me out to celebrate um, my third anniversary with with my job. We went out to eat one night, and uh, there was these loud young people in the booth behind Ruffians. us. Yeah, loudmouths. And they got into a discussion about Star Wars. And I was trying my best <laughs> to tune them the hell out, you know, because they obviously didn't know what the hell they were talking about. It was about. like Popeye the movie where they're just like, <laughs> Hey, run! I want, you, I want me pappy. I bet your pappy is as ugly as you are. I could have handled that, by the way. I would have much rather have that be what these assholes were saying. Anyway, I clearly heard one of them say something, blah, 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 Abrams. Well, look what he did with Star Trek, man. He made Star Trek cool for the first time ever. And I really, literally had to, like, have my left hand grab my... Exactly. I I had to stop myself from going back and and planting a fork in his gullet because it really just pissed me off. I wanted to go back and just totally go off on him you know just rant rave throw examples episodes site you know chapter uh, and verse wouldn't have done it yeah it wouldn't it would have made me look like a complete lunatic but my point being i agree with you greg i agree with you but there there comes a time when you you have to pick your battles and this one i you know it kills me but i you know what can we do honestly i mean what can we do I think the best thing to do is pretty much what uh, what we're doing right now. We're we're still holding on to it. We still cherish it. We still love it. It didn't you go know, anywhere. Still, and, and yeah, exactly. It hasn't gone anywhere. There will always be us that are that are there. Just you know that love it. And there'll always be people. It doesn't feel like it sometimes. It, it it may not be readily apparent, but there are people every single day that are discovering the real Star Trek, and you know, and, and really getting into it too. I, I mean, I don't think, yeah, you know, I, I could be dead wrong, but I don't think Trek, the the real Trek, the original Trek. I don't think it's going anywhere for a long, long time because it's one of those things that it has a timeless quality to it. And things of of value and things of quality, you know, they they pull through. It's they survive. Sitting on, it's sitting on Netflix. It's Star Trek dot com has every episode mm-hmm. up of all. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's it's not going away. There's Mister Torrent. It's just, yep. um, I I have a message of hope on the Abrams movie <laughs> since Abrams will not be doing the next Star Trek movie. And I've heard the budget's gotten cut. <laughs> that hmm. th- both of those things are good signs to me, hopeful signs. Yeah, a, a budget cut may mean somebody's gonna have to think about crafting a really good story 
if they can't just throw special effects all over it. So right. there's the, it, it, budgetary restrictions have sometimes worked to Star Trek's advantage. So you know we might get we might get a different director who's got a little better idea what's going on there under the surface. So and and plus we've got that cast. I love the cast. I think the cast are ready to ready to go as great in a great Star Trek movie. They just need someone to write it for them. So, you know, I think there's a little little sliver of sunlight coming through there. And just to address something further back in his email, uh, the kids that you're talking about that you're trying to get into Star Trek, if they're readers, get them reading some classic like Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke. Harlan Ellison, maybe, or, you know, short story writers from that same time period, the great science fiction, Ray Bradbury. And if they like those stories, the the feel of the original series will fit right into that. You know, they'll be able to put some context to it and say, oh, this is like the classic sci-fi writers. And I mentioned Harlan Ellison because he actually wrote, um, or, um, and or um you know robert block um i'm trying to think of the other guy's name um starts with an s that has written quite a few star trek scripts so yeah the guy with the s in his last name i can't remember his name anyway i'll remember it three quarters of the way through the episode Got another one here. This one is from our buddy Jason Trenner, and he writes, Logically, this isn't spam. (laughs) Star Trek (laughs) Monthly Mondays TOS edition. He says, Here's the feedback for the episode. John Byrne's Star Trek IDW uh, body of work is pretty awesome, and I agree. Mm -hmm. So though his uh, McCoy limited series had some issues that were better than others. Well, that's, that's true of anything, right? This is interestingly, the infestation Star Trek tie-in was for an awkward McCoy uh, was for an awkward McCoy was getting for his action. I'm sorry, this sentence doesn't read right to me. And interestingly, the infestation Star Trek tie-in was for an award. Oh, for an award McCoy was getting for his actions in the McCoy limited series. Okay, I got you now. And things went crazy. You know, I haven't read that. Did you read that? I did read that. It was pretty good. I don't think it was. I. I. I it wasn't really amazing, but it was. It was good. It was solid. Right. It was. That was when zombie was fever a zombie was story, running. Zombie story. Yeah. Running rampant through comics. But it, there. It, everybody it, got it, even Star Wars got one. It was Star Trekky. It was still Star Trekky. You know, it was a scientific zombie story. Right. Says I look forward to Burns Fumetti as that will be fun. Has that come out yet? I don't know. Have to research that and see because I'd like to check that out myself. He said in pad stuff that's Peter David. Uh, Peter David's stuff is pure awesome. Also on licensed material, the Transformers have even had problems with the material being really good or really shit. Not just Michael Bay, either lacking vision or thinking uh, cheap dumb shit was the most profitable route to take. But some of the comics and cartoons are not good. Uh, Transformers kiss slash kiss players oh god (laughs) ah the immunity syndrome he says when we first learned about vulcan only vulcan only runs ships in star trek uh which does make me wonder where the tricursed hell (laughs) 
<laughs> Dude, you have some weird sentence structure. Where the tri-cursed hell people put all that uh, Spock is the first Vulcan in Starfleet talk when we had uh, 400 Vulcans, including one having the rank of captain, be the skipper of the Intrepid. But that's the thing, though, is I think that was a Vulcan fleet ship, Vulcan not a ship, Starfleet yeah. ship, right? Yeah, that's that was my interpretation anyway. Intrepid sounds like a very Starfleet It does, ship, actually. Though. Yeah, it does. He says, yeah, that's a pet peeve of mine. The Intrepid is something I wonder if it counted uh, for the reboot. Yeah, I'm not a fan of there being just 10,000 Vulcans left, as Enterprise mentioned there being Vulcan colonies. Admittedly, Tucker couldn't name them, but especially in the first two seasons, he was uh, pretty much a redneck fool. Glad to hear that the Star Trek.com has all the Trek episodes, even if it is sorted alphabetically instead of by show by season. Yeah, that's got to be a little bit weird. It's a pain. <laughs> the original start, uh, the original Enterprise, rather, had us a bowling alley of all things. Makes you wonder what the ED, the E D, does he mean Enterprise the Enterprise D? D? Okay, what the Enterprise D has for entertainment besides the holodeck? I'd imagine the holodeck's what else all they do you need. need. <laughs> yeah, have a bunch of holodecks. You can create a bowling exactly. alley. Exactly. Anything else? Porno theater, whatever. Virtual Enterprises. Second Life had those. Yeah, I found that. I, somebody sent me a link. So I got to walk uh, all around the uh, Voyager and the original Enterprise, and those weren't the only ships that was on that. It says, and uh, Star Trek Online has it where you can go into your ship and look around. Yeah, I, I did find that, and I thought that was actually really cool. The interesting thing about Kyle is that for the reboot, uh, that's who Chris Doohan says his, uh, his unnamed character is. Is that one of Jimmy Doohan's kids? Chris Doohan? I, I, I don't know. Uh, and given no one has given him a canon name, it's as good as anything. Next up is Patterns of Force. Good luck getting Randy. Oh, shit, that's right. We're supposed to try to get Randy for this one. I forgot all about Oh, damn. Uh, I've, I've only said that like 15 times now. Hey, let's get Randy for the next one. Then I it, no, Not that it's easy to get Randy when we do it, try. It is not. It is not. <laughs> well, hell, you know, for that matter, they might not even have like electricity or internet up there right now exactly yeah with snow uh this is uh i hope this makes you happy to uh, unleash me on yet another show yes it does jason thank you for the email i appreciate it very much last one for this time around is from my friend mike and i believe his last name is pronounced lacroix if i'm not mistaken mike uh write in and, and let me know if i'm pronouncing your name right Mike does a show called uh, the Canadian Military History Podcast, I do believe. Again, Mike, write in and let me know if I'm... Uh... Oh, wait, here it is right here. Yes, www.canadianmilitaryhistorypodcast.ca. There you go. Go and check Mike's show out. It's really cool. I really got a, a kick out of it. Uh, he messaged me quite a while back when he was starting that show up and he was like, uh, Hey, you know, would you give this a listen to, and, you know, give me some feedback. You know, I, I really would like it. And I'm like, what the hell do I know about Canadian military history? It's like so far out of my wheelhouse, a little but more now, right. <laughs> and really enjoyed it. Yeah. It, I mean, his production values right out of the gate were really, really good. I mean, he knows what the hell he's talking about, but he, 
you know, he he presented it in a very informative and, and fun format, and uh, and I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was really solid. By the way, Mike, I am still waiting on a uh, a promo, dude. You need to make me a promo and send it this way, because uh, I, I would like to be able to send people to you uh, beyond just word of mouth. I want to get a, a promo played. Anyway, uh, his is simply entitled "No Comments." Says Chris and Scott. I was surprised to hear that you haven't received any comments on the last episode of Star Trek Monthly Monday when I was sure I had recently sent you some comments. I'm sorry. I, I did look. I didn't see any in there. But uh, we are still being inundated with spam. And I do feel like sometimes either the spam filter or me when I go through and filter spam out myself, we may accidentally end up deleting messages that aren't spam. It's just one of the pitfalls of our particular Gmail account at the moment. So I do apologize if we miss something from you, Mike. Uh, he says, here's some more. He says, I have collected uh, the editions of the Nitpicker's Guide to blah, 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 Star Trek uh, and have enjoyed reading them. Great choice for a reference. I do remember the comment about not being able to find any nits to pick on the enemy. Yeah, that's funny. That was an episode of uh, Next Gen that we covered not long ago where in the original nitpicker's guide to the next generation that was the one episode that the author could not find anything to nitpick but then the next edition it was like one of the thicker sections of the book was about the enemy because of all the people that wrote in to say hmm i think you missed this point uh, i listened to both the classic trek and the next generation back to back and i'm uh, also enjoying that well thank you very much i'm glad to hear that uh that somebody is listening to both episodes we split the show for that reason, so that you don't ha- you're you're not forced to listen to both. But I always I always hope that people listen to all of our shows. But I realize that we do put out a lot of stuff, and you know maybe not everything appeals to everybody. Maybe says says I listened to the mission log, a Roddenberry Star Trek cast, uh, which is also reviewing the classic Trek uh, episodes, and we'll be moving on to the next generation. I like to listen on how you each choose to cover the aspects of each episode and what you select to key in on. I was watching Star Trek with my young teenage son, and he was getting into the episode. I'm explaining to him how this episode serves to develop Kirk's backstory as a young lieutenant. Uh, Kirk completed his first planetary survey and made friends with the people there. He was all into it until Mugatu. Oh. That's when he bent over laughing, and that was it. It was a lost cause all the way from there. Yeah, maybe Aww. it's best not to start out with the Mugatu, because that's kind of my <laughs> reaction, too. <laughs> See, it's funny, because when he said that, I thought, you, you know, I, I what did he say? He said, yeah, but who doesn't okay. enjoy a good laugh with their dad anyway? That's what Star Trek's there for, too. See, I thought he was going to say, like, it scared him and, like, he wouldn't watch anymore. No, no, that was us when we were little kids. (laughs) Teenagers today would be like, what is this? Yeah, exactly. I I sometimes get that reaction watching old Trek with my kids, too. My youngest son, 12, discovered the magic of Netflix and watched the entire run of Next Gen in a straight shot. Barring sleep in school, he was glued. Now he's fully versed on the whole Next Gen scene And he's even asking some of the fanboy type questions like, where are the washrooms on the Enterprise? No interest in classic Trek, though. Oh, that's a shame. I think the washrooms are a sort of um, transporter set up in their suits. That's what I've (laughs) always wished for anyway. (laughs) Well, let me ask you then, uh, Mike, uh, this youngest boy, does he listen to Star Trek Monthly Monday uh, TNG edition? 
I'd be very curious to get some feedback from him if he does and, and see what he thinks of the show. And our dirty, dirty mouths. <laughs> I think we've done, gone a long way towards clean. You know what? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm going to correct that statement. I know we've gone a long way towards cleaning things up because you know what I did recently? Listen to some of our back episodes. I listened to the episodes, some of the episodes that you posted links to for our past Christmas specials. Exactly. Dude, our second Christmas craptacular is. It's like vulgar. It's really. Yeah, it's really. I couldn't believe. I was like, wow, this is so different from what we're putting out these days. I think we have toned down to pretty much the same thing. When I listened to it, I was just like, oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, it was bad. I I I like to swear. But, you know, I mean, yeah, we've toned it down so younger people can listen more or whatever. And you're trying to swear less and stuff. But I I didn't realize just how much. (laughs) Well, it wasn't just the swearing either. I mean, we were we were just we were filthier. You know, we didn't mind talking about certain things, and we we were pretty much all out. And it was like, wow, this is really. It's definitely not kid friendly that episode. So anyway, not that there's other episodes of Two True Freaks where you can revisit some of that. <laughs> right. Yeah, this is true. It says Canada does not run classic Trek on Netflix. What? Oh, oh. just just move to where CKWS is. They're probably still playing the chip. <laughs> I wonder if they are. Uh, oh, you know what? I missed his comment here. He says, I really, uh, I'm really digging the enhanced versions of uh, Classic Trek and have no interest in paying to see the next-gen episodes in the theater. Interesting. I would have liked to have seen Best of Both Worlds in the theater. I really do regret missing that when it played theatrically. That w- I think yeah, that would have been uh, says I had to f- uh, figure out a hack from YouTube to let me watch the US feed for a while, but they've caught on and it doesn't seem to work anymore. That sucks, dude. I enjoy listening when I drive and my sons do too, but it gets annoying when the F-bombs get dropped. I kind of uh, tune it out when I'm driving alone, but when it's parent time, I kind of cringe. Please don't do the uh, excessive swearing now that I've commented on swearing. Ugh. Well, you know, how are you making me want to swear, man? <laughs> I can't think of the last time we've dropped an F-bomb in Star Trek Monthly Monday, though, have we? No, but if you're listening from the beginning, you're going to catch a few. This is true. This is true. This is true. Well, I, I, I hope... So one of those things, you know... I know this sounds very self-serving, but I really hoped that at some point we would we would get a kudos about that. You know, some acknowledgement. Hey, you're going, I, congratulations, you, re- you really cleaned up your act. Nobody's ever commented. I don't think... If anything, it's gone the other <laughs> way, where guys like Chris Tyler was like, you know, I liked your show and you sweared more. Yeah, a like, lot of people, a lot of people have, 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 have mentioned that. And I, yeah. tried, I tried to up the swearing in my other shows just to, you know, pander to the crowd. <laughs> but I mean, I, I mean, I remember at the beginning we had a discussion about, like, just swearing. And we, I remember we were like, well, you know, one thing we hated were podcasts where people were trying, kind of consciously trying to swear or be sweary. Right. Because actually it's more something that was just incorporated into our vocabulary and we would be fighting against right and and by the time we started this podcast i had toned down a lot from like when i was in my 20s where the f-bomb was just basically my version of um (laughs) so 
Yeah, it's just an evolution in speech patterns more than... (laughs) I don't find myself, like, backing off from... Every once in a while I do, like, on Star Wars or Star Trek Monthly Mondays. Or maybe Comics Monthly Monday. I think think when you, me, and Mike Bailey get together, we just like to swear a little more. Mm -hmm. So, but that's... Yeah, I don't know. It seems Star Wars and Star Trek, the month, those monthly, two monthly Mondays, just seem more. I don't know. Maybe we're not getting kudos because there's just not as many kids lis- listening, or or if the kids are listening, they're not listening with their parents, <laughs> so the kids aren't gonna <laughs> be like, "Hey, thanks for not swearing. I don't want to hear any of that." <laughs> so well, my fear know. used to be, and it's probably not that valid anymore, unless. I'm really underestimating our listeners that they really do go all the way back to the beginning. But in the early days, my fear, you know, used to be that people would go all the way back to the earliest episodes and be like, Ooh, these guys are awful. And then just not listen, assuming that we just never got any cleaner. And I'm not sure that that's the case now, but like I say, nobody's, nobody's ever really commented on it. And it just kind of is like, Oh, really? Cause I try, I try so hard. I think the general, (laughs) like in podcasts in general, and you know, amongst the most, the biggest of all the podcasting, there's plenty of swearing and salty talk, which is just, I think, uh, because it's such a new medium that people are like, "Oh my God, I can say whatever I want, and nobody's right. telling me not to." So there's going to be a lot of that of people just going blah 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 blah, and and also which was people, us in the early days. There's a lot of people who just swear in daily speech too, so they could go, "Oh, I can talk like." I can amongst my friends on it. So I, I don't know. As long as we're making somewhat sense, I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> somewhat <laughs> sense. Uh, Mike continues here. He says, uh, I've also sent you an email that I will be in Florida in March and I'd like to buy you a beer. Well, I don't drink beer, but I would like to get together. Actually, he says that right here. He says, I'll be in Orlando, uh, in the Orlando area, and hope that we could meet. Absolutely, dude. Absolutely. Like I said, don't drink beer, but I would, I'm sure uh, you I'd, can I'd, find I'd a cocktail that Scott oh, would, uh, would uh, sample. Yeah. Absolutely. He says, uh, thanks for the in- info on Megacon in Orlando. By the way, I haven't mentioned this on a show yet. I got approved for Megacon. So, Ooh, two true yes. freaks. At least this half of Two True Freaks will be uh, at Megacon in March in Orlando. So uh, be listening. Uh, if there's not a, a promo in this particular episode, there will be one uh, coming up shortly. You'll have your portable uh, recorder in hand, I take it? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, I love Megacon. I'm really looking forward to it this year. Um, they've started to release some of the names of some of the talented folks that will be appearing there. So. Uh, Definitely, definitely looking forward to that. But yeah, uh, one way or the other, whether you can make uh, MegaCon or not, Mike. Uh, yeah, I would love to get together while you're here in uh, Florida. So keep keep on me about that. We'll have to make that happen. Mike continues. He says, "I'm really looking forward to your Crisis on Infinite Earths podcast with Michael Bailey. I would like to join in as a fellow podcaster." But Mike said, "No." Did he really? <laughs> I'm sorry, that's not funny. He's my my favorite comic book series for sure, and all my issues are signed by George Perez. Oh, you lucky bastard. says, I have all the crossover issues in the Crisis Crossover Index. Wow. Um, 
I have to talk to Mike about it. I'm not sure what the deal is with that. Uh, at the very least, would love you have love to have you on as you know a special guest or do a do a special together or something. Um, we're not exactly doing a Crisis on Infinite Earths podcast, though. It, it is going to be an outgrowth of the Tales of the Justice Society of America. Um, all I can say about that at this point is just stay tuned. Wait and see. Stay tuned. Things things are happening behind the scenes, but I I don't want to talk you know out of turn. So just stay tuned. Says I am on episode thirteen of my own podcast, and I thank people like you for giving me uh, giving me the inspiration and the insider tips to get this going. Thanks, guys. That will be all. Number one, and again, that's from Mike Lacroix. And Mike lives in Barrie, Ontario, which we know very well. We know exactly where that's at. So I think that's really cool. And again, listen to Mike's show. It's called uh, the Canadian Military History Podcast. Good, good stuff. I think you'll really get a kick out of it. So thank you for writing in, Mike. I really appreciate that. And with that said, let me take a little break, play some promos, and we will come back with Patterns of Force. Yes. Return to the far-flung future of 1969 with another thrilling adventure of Commander Scott Gardner and his flying freaks. Scott Gardner and the Fire Hussies from the center of the Earth. On an exploratory flight over the North Pole, Commander Gardner discovers a hole leading to the center of the Earth. I have found a hole leading to the center of the Earth. Commander Gardner and his Flying Freak Brigade embark on a mission to the land of the Hollow Earth, Hussilvania, ruled by the seductive Queen Popo. Explosions! Robots! Giant rocks! Kate-clenching excitement! Will the evil Queen Popo drain Scott Gardner of his vital essence? You fire hussies will not steal my vital essence. Along for the adventure, Scott Gardner's trusty sidekick, Pablo. Us, Mr. Gardner, there's only one man with a blimp like that. Space Hitler! Look out! Will Space Hitler capture the secret weapon of the Hustlevanians before Commander Gardner can stop him? Laugh at the hijinks of the drunken ship's cook, Maury Clawhammer. Aw, oh, Jesus Christ, I ain't going in no goddamn hole in the ground. An adventure in 74 15-minute installments. Can your heart take the excitement? Can your mind expand enough to comprehend the storyline? Will you fork over your hard-earned money to see? Scott Gardner and the Fire Hussies from the center of the Earth. Filmed in the Vision. Attention, people of Earth, do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Directive.
Hey, you. Yes, you, hearing this message. Do you like podcasts? Well, evidently you do, because you're listening to one right now. Do you like giant monsters? Of course you do. Who doesn't like giant monsters? Well, then have I got the show for you. Earth Destruction Directive is the newest Daikaiju podcast on the internet. And we talk about all your old favorites, like Godzilla, Rodan, King Ghidorah, and Gamera. But also lesser-known monsters, like Gappa, Yangari, and Giawa. We cover everything from movies to comic books to video games, and we're kicking it old school. This is breaking news. We are receiving word that Earth Destruction Directive is now a part of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. Listeners are advised to stay in their homes and listen to all of the fine quality podcasts on the Two True Freaks Podcast Network, available at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. We now return you to your regularly scheduled broadcast. Wait a minute. Is this true? Earth Destruction Directive is now on the Two True Freaks Network? You bet your oxygen destroyer it is. So if you love atomic-powered, fire-breathing, hardcore, giant monster action, then head on over to twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and check out Earth Destruction Directive. We're turning all of your daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. Welcome back to Star Trek Monthly Monday, the original series edition. We're going to go ahead and get into the meat of the episode here. This time around, we are discussing the classic episode from the second season, Patterns of Force. Oh, hi! They're right behind me! Hi! Your uniform, Captain. You should make a very convincing Nazi. She captured a seance spy that was attempting to assassinate the Fuhrer. Gods. You were sent here to kill our Fira. Confess. Do you want some more persuasion? This is the time of destiny. Hail victory! Hail victory! Professor, you've got to talk. You've got to tell them what happened. we finished the job. The Enterprise approaches Ecos to check on Federation cultural observer John Gill. Now, if you know anything about Star Trek, you know that these guys, these cultural observers, what is the one thing they never do? They never Ob- observe. Observe. Not for more than 10 seconds. Yeah, they had just have to get involved. They're, they're like the Watcher in Marvel Comics, where he's just supposed to watch, but he ends up jumping in. And he, actually, here in mind, never mind. <laughs> Gil arrived on the planet several years ago to monitor the progress of the primitive and warlike Ecosian people. And what could go wrong in a few years? Yeah. Beaming down, Kirk and Spock find an exact recreation of Nazi Germany. Imagine that, Nazi Germany. (laughs) Including its oppression of another cultural group. For years, the people of Zeon, another planet in the star system, have aided the Ecosians in their development. Now the government has declared war on them 
and decreed that the Ecosian cities be cleansed of Zeons. The greatest shock comes when Kirk learns that Gil is the Fuhrer. <sighs> Working with the Ecosian underground, Kirk and Spock infiltrate Nazi headquarters. They find Gil, but quickly determine that he is heavily drugged, just like my co-host, and oh. merely a figurehead. Just like your co-host. <laughs> <laughs> Originally, Gil introduced the Nazi concept into this society to make it more efficient. Yeah, because that works. Then a ruthless hey, they got the trains running on time. <laughs> Then a ruthless Ecosian named Malakon took over and turned the movement toward viciousness. Just in time, Kirk rouses Gil. Whoa there. Rouses Gil enough to make a speech denouncing Malakon. Actually, you know, now that I look, it reads a lot like Megacon to me. I just realized that. <laughs> you got All hail Megatron. Brain. There we go. This encourages the more peaceful Ecosian leaders to assume control and stop the killing. That, you know, it's a little dry, but that's not a bad synopsis, really. Yeah. That's pretty much it for this one. Uh, what, do you, what do you got on Patterns of Force? What do you think of this one overall? I've always enjoyed it just for its, sh- you know, shoot. I mean, it's a Star Trek Space Hitler story. Space Hitler, yeah. There you go, man. Space Hitler. You can't you, you can't beat Space Hitler for entertainment value. <laughs> now as a science fiction story, okay. But you know, as a Star Trek story, it's pretty good. It's 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 pretty I, I like um Spock's character beats in this one. The, the, you know, where the one point where he looks at Kirk and he's just like, you know, I sort of think I understand <laughs> why people like this action thing. You know, I like this uh, adrenaline, you know, the rush of like gambling or basically improvisation. Right. And he's genuinely excited. And, you know, and and Kirk's like, Spock will make a human out of you, you know. After all, and he's and and, and <laughs> just the not. way he just said, I I hope not. It was great. It was just a great little moment, and uh, it had nothing to do really with the story at large, which is, you know, and in pure Star Trek form, they can't just leave it with Space Hitler. The other planet actually has to be named Zion. Or not Zion, but Zeon, you know, close enough. And, like, they had to give the people from that planet, like, all had, like, Jewish names, like Isaac, you know, Abraham Isaac names. And it's just purposeful. They just couldn't resist, you know, they just couldn't resist putting it that much more on the nose, you know, than it was. I mean, they. I I mean, they could have. I mean, basically, all the Nazis need is a scapegoat. They didn't have to make them completely you know as far as plausibility goes but as far as an entertaining story goes it, it, you have a little micro holocaust story and i think this one you know it has it's funny because i think the synopsis totally glossed over what i got out of it which was not as much the story of a sort of um Oh, um, 
you know, the um, Prime Directive. It's not another... It's not, it is sort of a Prime Directive story, but underlying it, it's more of a story about not the Nazis as much, but evil regimes like the Nazis. And I think the point that I got out of it that would be something new other than Nazis are bad and K is <laughs> that even, you know, that, that, that you had your Nazi re- regime and they were, they were doing their purge and stuff, but everywhere there was resistance going out. You had the resistance movement, but you had that really strange moment that I never picked up on until I watched it this time. I never picked up on it as a kid, but it was the, the, the remember the Gestapo leader they bring in to the cell at first and and he basically saves Kirk. They're like, okay, we're, you know, and we're going to kill him. And he's just like, no, no, wait, we're going to, you know, I want to check more on, on the, you know, and he sort of basically saves their lives. Mm-hmm. And you think this guy is like probably since he's a Gestapo, he's probably, wait, you know, planning on doing some evil stuff. But then when he runs into him, when they had beamed down McCoy, had they beamed down McCoy yet? Yeah, because they did the whole, like, the doctor's drunk. Right. And he's like, I can't believe he didn't recognize us. And basically, he had recognized him, but he was, you know, sympathetic. He was just mm-hmm. he was just a Nazi, but he was philosophically, you know, and that's a lot to sort of get out of a little scene like that. So it was basically showing that like the whole tenant of that sort of regime can crumble at any time. At the end of the episode, when they're doing the little thing where they, they basically give Spock up to protect everybody else. Mm -hmm. And there's that little exchange and that head Nazi guy you're talking about leaves with his two officers and John Boy, or whatever the hell his name was, says to Kirk and McCoy, he says, well, that dude's on our side. And I don't know if he just well, then realized right. it or because I, I rewatched that scene a couple of times trying to understand that. Did mm-hmm. he just now realize that that guy is sympathetic to them or was He's that guy along. part of their underground all along? And I never did quite gather which it was but yeah i i thought that was it was nice because it was subtle yeah you you had to paying attention to kind of catch it and i liked that that not everybody was just you know flat evil plus well the first opportunity the 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 forces of not killing stepped in you know as soon as as soon as the the fuhrer crumbled and then his second in command was revealed as being you know, a, a despot, a despot, and a cheater. You know, everybody was just sort of like, "All right, that's okay. Well, that's the end of that." <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Which is not really realistic, but in an hour, it's if, not. If you have the Holocaust in an hour, World War Two in an hour, the Nazi Germany in an hour, you might as well have it end like that. Anyway. <laughs> it's not very realistic, but then again knowing that the head Gestapo guy was actually on their side, yeah. I think maybe one of the reasons they did that was to lend a little bit more credibility into the fact that, like you say, once the two head guys are taken out of the equation, maybe there's not enough mm-hmm. pure evil guys still remaining at the top to carry the thing forward. Yeah. Maybe they would just kind of give up the fight. I don't know. Yeah, once, it, it's what, still a little silly. Yeah. But. 
But it's basically once you you but you know once you get rid of the head boogeyman, then people don't you know aren't aren't right. operating aren't as scared anymore. So they you know I mean any kind of society like you know Nazi Germany and stuff. It's not that the whole citizenry turned evil. It's that that you know most of them were just scared out of their wits, right? And trying to trying to you know go along so that they didn't end up on the bad list. Right. So, but there was, you get, I, you know, it's, it's not going to win any awards, but it's a, it's, it's a fun, it's a fun episode. It, it is. It, it, especially if, you know, the, the more, you know, about the, the history of track and especially the, the personalities involved. Yeah. There, there's something very ironic when, you know, much like Steven Spielberg making, you know, the Indiana Jones films and, and eventually making uh, Schindler's List, Schindler's List. You know, there's very something very ironic to the fact that, you know, some of the best modern Nazi films that are out there are directed by, you know, a Jewish director. It's the same kind of irony that, you know, here's this pretty solid you know science fictiony episode about space nazis and you've got kirk and spock dressing up in in nazi outfits you know nazi uniforms and they're both jews as well both, both jewish actors some, yeah yeah something very i had a feeling strange they might have had that. something to do with it you know they might have been like you know i mean i i sort of under i mean i imagine steven spielberg does it because it's a part of his up you know i mean he probably grew up I mean, there, I mean, we all grew up with like stories of the Holocaust and history class, and there were, you know, there was, there's been movies made about it and stuff. So we're, we've been aware right. of it. But when you're Jewish, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, you're part of the story, and you're right. you're in a really disturbing part of the story. So it, I mean, I I can imagine that I would be kind of, I don't I don't. I don't want to say fixated or fascinated, but I would be I would be keenly interested in that period of history and understanding it and being conscious that it didn't happen again, you know. So there's that, but the side the thing I always wonder about is does it ever happen where things like this get pitched and somebody involved is like, "Oh hell no." Cuz I have heard I'm trying to remember where I heard this. Yeah. I... Or what it was in context to. But I remember there being, I want to say it was Julie Schwartz back when he was in charge of DC mm-hmm. that they, they were wanting to do some something or other to do with Nazis. I forget exactly what now. Michael Bailey could probably tell this story better than I can because I think that's who I heard it from. And basically he said flat out, oh, hell no. So long as I'm in charge of DC, we ain't having no Nazis in our books, period. End of story. So, I, you know, in that aspect... Even as heels, huh? Hmm? Not even as the bad guy? Not even to get their, their asses kicked? Yeah. Huh. I don't... I don't... I'm trying to remember what the exact context is of that. I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can research or talk to Mike or whatever and remember it's probably something we ended up talking about on tales at one time or another but you know so in that aspect I guess it's kind of 
not only does it amuse me to see again, you know, two Jewish guys playing Nazis, but at the same rate, it, it also wouldn't surprise me at all if one of the other of them had been like, "Oh hell no!" Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. You know, it's funny. They, just like a piece they, of the action, though, their outfits are just so perfectly tailored, though. Right. Right. Very true. Yeah, they never have the Indiana Jones problem where they knock the guy out and it's you know three sizes too small yeah. or something. This one, I think, illustrates very well, it, it, strangely in a way that their regular Starfleet uniforms never seem to do. This really illustrates the size difference between Kirk and Spock. Shatner's really a tiny yeah. dude. Having literally stood next to his classic captain's outfit when I was at uh, Kennedy Space Center, it really struck me for the first time what a little dude he really must be in Those real life. Those there. Or, you know, or was back then. And ever since then, I, I can't help but see it now. And it's funny because I, I never really saw that before. But, of course, I tend to view these episodes through child's eyes anyway. So these guys are always going to be bigger than life mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. But it's just so funny. A couple really good... Uh, lines and and you know lines of dialogue and different things but one that really struck me as funny was right at the very beginning of the episode when they're about to beam down they get those uh subcutaneous whatever the hell they are transponders or whatever put into them which i'm always like why don't you do this all the time but they get those things put into them and they're they're going to beam down to the planet and kirk kind of coaches Scotty a little bit just as they're about to beam down that, you know, in such and such time, no matter what the deal is, go ahead and beam us up. And Scotty, just the way he delivers the line cracks me up. He's like, I, you know, no matter what your condition. And I'm thinking, Scotty knows the deal by now. He's thinking, yeah, no matter, yeah. you know, your, your pants are down around your ankles, you know, you're, you're knee deep in it, whatever the condition, <laughs> I'm going to go, you, know, you got it. I'm, I got your back. You know, I just thought that was fun. Just the way he delivers the line implies so much you know i really like that there's a line of dialogue in here that annoyed me to no end and it i i i sorry i didn't write it down verbatim but it, essentially it boiled down to what are the odds can you believe this we're, we're <laughs> on this planet and and nazi germany isn't this amazing and i'm thinking wait a minute by now you have been to like miri's world which was literally a globe. the planet Earth. Yeah. Up until it was exactly the same up until the point where everybody freaked out and became grups. You know, was it? You have been. What's that? Was that planet or the planet on a piece of the action or both of them? Did they both have like the same continents and everything? If I recall, I don't think. What, what was that planet? Icosia or whatever. I don't think that one did. But I know Miri's planet was because as they're pulling up to it, they, you know, they're they're talking. You know, Spock's doing his little. Oh, it's got such and such nitrogen and blah blah blah, and it's got this much mass and this much water. And her, her is the one like, uh, yeah, dumbass, look at the view screen. And they look, and it's it's the freaking Earth. I mean, exactly the Earth. And there's never a mention of holy shit. What are the odds of this? Yet they go down to this planet with it turns out to be a pretty logical explanation for why there's nazis there and the entire discussion that by now they should have had umpteen times in a dozen different episodes that's the moment they decide to have it and it just struck me as really bizarre you know because i 
at first I thought, well, you know, it's second season. It's a little early. And I'm like, no. <laughs> right. No, they have been to Miri's World. They have been to... I'm trying to think of all the other places where they have been. And if they mentioned it at all, which they typically don't, but if they mention it at all, then it's always that bullshit, such, you know, whoever the guy what was. What are the odds that we would find uh, a Greek god? What are the yeah, odds that we would find American Indians? Yeah, you know, the American Indians, the the one with the Roman Colosseum, which may be after this episode. But there's, you know, there's a lot of episodes. And believe me, I try to cut Classic Trek a lot of slack because I understand why they did episodes like this. It was so much more convenient to just go down to wardrobe and get Nazi uniforms from the latest World War II epic that happened three years ago than than it is to create an entire new wardrobe of you know, the Scrivosians or whatever, you know, and, and have to create all new, it's just easier and it costs less. I understand that, but somewhere along the line, you, you got to throw me a bone. You got to throw in some dialogue to explain these things. And, and when they don't in episodes that really need it, and then they do in episodes that really don't need it, it, it calls attention to itself. And it just, to a certain degree, it all it all collapses like a uh, like a house of cards, and this was one of those instances. By calling attention to Jesus, what are the odds? Really called attention to the the episodes where they should have said that. <laughs> exactly. And you know, I mean, because this, yeah, you know, at first before they know the whole deal with Gill and everything else, it it does kind of seem that way, but literally. What are the odds in an episode like Miri? It's the Earth duplicated. Yeah, well, calculate those odds for me, Mr. Spock, because that one I'm having trouble wrapping my head around. Um, you know, I really don't have a whole lot more on this one. I, I, I neither like it nor dislike it. I think it's a little slow. I think it's... Uh, I don't want to say cheesier, but... I think this one, viewing it again now after having not seen it in a long, long time, I think the budgetary constraints of the series really shine through in this one because Nazi Germany is kind of sparsely populated. You know, altogether, there's like 12 Nazis, I think. Yeah, it, yeah. It's just, you know, there's in a few hallways, a couple on the streets. Yeah, it, it just doesn't feel like a bustling you know, the the bustling headquarters um, of a civilization. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, 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 the throbbing, I'm trying to think of the word I want to use, you know, the, the, the bustling center of the operation. Right. It just doesn't feel that way. It, it feels rather, rather deserted and, and sparsely populated to me. But, again, I, I don't think it's a bad episode. And... Um, I always have fun researching the people that are in these, you know, the guest stars and such, the the other actors in these, because sometimes I, I I learn things that well, I never knew that about, you know, the series or this person or whatever. And the one that really surprised me this time around was uh, watching the episode. I kept thinking, geez, that that Malachon dude looks really familiar. He must be in an, another episode or some other movie I've seen before or something. I, I kept looking at him and I just couldn't place him. Do you know who he is? No. He's Doctor Severin from The Way to Eden, the, oh, the leader guy, the big okay. ears. Yeah, it's the same dude. That makes sense. Yeah, 
I thought that was funny. I never knew that before, but again, these are, you know, this one and that one are episodes that I have not seen very many times, so it didn't surprise me. I wasn't able to exactly place him, but I, I did think that was funny. What, what cracks me up in this is it's got your classic Shatner acting within acting, <laughs> right. where he's playing Kirk, playing a Nazi, and so when another Nazi shows up, He's the most ridiculous fake actor where anybody in reality, like the cop in, um, uh, um, where, where, which one was it? The Harlan Ellison one, City on the Edge of Forever, where the cop right. was like, yeah. oh, what's this on your shoulder, officer? Your wife would be remiss, blah, 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 you know. <laughs> oh, let me help you with that, you know. And, and this time, whenever he'd see another Nazi, he'd be just like, I caught this Zion pig and blah, blah, blah. And, he, you know, we made sure that pig wouldn't talk again. And he just overplays it, you know, that, that Shatner way to where it would just be like, dude, you're drawing attention to yourself as, be, you yep. know, being full of it. And, uh, but... <laughs> It's still That's like a that. fine wine to me, you know. <laughs> that that I think I I don't know if that's necessarily a Shatnerism, but that's definitely something I've come to consider a Kirkism because yes. he does the same thing during the Fisben game. Yes, you know it's obvious that he's full of shit he's and he's making, making it up, up yeah. on the fly, yet nobody catches on to it. So yeah, it's just one of those things you kind of run with, and it, I get a kick out of it myself. Yes, yes. He's rather low key in this one, though. He doesn't, um, you know, while Except he is when he's very slapping Gil. Jeez. That's true. Well, I was just gonna say he doesn't really, you know, hit anybody, but yeah, he does slap Gil around a little bit. <laughs> but he's doing the hammy Shatner. Yeah, but he's not. He's not physical very much in this episode, and I kind of miss that because he's sort of gumming on that... the scenery rather than chewing on it. <laughs> right. If there's anything that could really improve this episode, I mean, I would love to see Kirk kicking some Nazi ass. And yeah. he really doesn't get a chance to in this. It's it's more spy stuff. Yeah. Which, which is a shame. It's kind of a missed opportunity. knock out a couple but... guards, but not the real, like a, a fist fight where they get to knock over some bookshelves and, and right. drawers full of documents. I, I would have, you know, I... I would definitely like to see him fight some Nazis, but even a firefight with some Nazis, I, I would have settled for that. And really, all we get is when uh, Malakon fires into the booth and kills Gil. By the way, Kirk jumps in the way of the bullets. What what the hell was that all about? Gil winds up dead from a machine gun barrage that Kirk jumped in the way of. Yeah, Kirk's not even winged. Not even not even a ripped shirt like usual. I don't understand. There was that a lot of I mean, if if they can beam down McCoy, why not beam down McCoy with a few phasers too? With a team of security guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. And and when they when, once they get in the room with with Gill, beam up Gill. Take him to sick bay. Find out what the drug is, negate it, and get him, you know, back in action and really start cooking with gas, you know? This is one of those episodes where it's funny to think about Star Trek this way, that, you know, here it is, it's cerebral science fiction, it's it's thinking man science fiction, but there's often episodes, and I think this is a really good example, that yes, it's intelligent science fiction, 
But I don't think you're supposed to think about it all that much in certain aspects because this is another one of those episodes. They beam down. They spend a lot of time agonizing. How are we going to resolve this situation? When I'm sitting there going, you know, I've already thought about about 15 different ways that this could have been over With five all, minutes. Ago, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and at that point, the the prime directive has already been broken, so they're in damage control. Right. Which means start, you know, yeah, start start messing around, <laughs> start doing quick and decisive actions with your superior technology isn't a piece of the action before this one i think so i i think it is too i i don't know for sure but i think it is that being the case here's an idea for you all right so they're about to go to war you're worried about both planets blah 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 why don't you use that stun setting that you suddenly revealed in a piece of the action that the Enterprise phasers have? Uh, stun the whole goddamn city unconscious and then sort them out. You yeah, know? free all the Zeons. Jeez. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, there are a lot of simple ways that this could have been resolved very easily. Mm-hmm. But instead, they go through all this espionage. They put so many lives in danger, not the least of which is theirs. And... It's it's just very strange to to go through. I I mean I understand that they're trying to find Gil, but the minute they realize that there's been this horrible, I mean literally the worst probably one of the cultural contamination yes. you could possibly come up with. Pretty much the minute they realize that's the case, come on, that becomes your a plot, right? Much, Not finding Gil. Pretty much worst case scenario. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, worst case scenario, one of these observers will just become Hitler or something. Worst case scenario. (laughs) Oh, man. Can you imagine being at Starfleet headquarters taking the call on this one? Oh, yeah, yeah. We we got a call for you from Kirk. We got another space Hitler, man. Another one. Ah, Here we go again. Yeah, they probably have a special space Hitler line by now. (laughs) You know, a subsecretary in charge of space Hitlers. You have reached Starfleet headquarters. If you're calling about a space Hitler situation, please press one now. <laughs> in Kling for Klingon. <laughs> <laughs> for Klingon blast. <laughs> oh man. Well, that's all I got. That's all I got on this one. I think we got some mileage out of it. Well, the only the only other thing I had is I watched the the enhanced edition or whatever and all i noticed was a, another little space a planet off to the side with rings around it and you could see like you could see that kirk's lashes nasty lashes were paint but it was cool i never noticed before like spock was really green in this episode maybe because they're yeah. going shirtless and you could see the green bruises from him getting whipped Right, and I was also like, you know, these he, Spock is always like the tough guy because he's a Vulcan, but when you see him with his shirt off, you're like, oh, he's just some ninety pound weakling, you know. I was reading somewhere that, uh, and, and I was really racking my brains, like, is that true? Is that right? And and off the top of my head, I I think it is. I was reading somewhere that this is the only episode of any Star Trek where. Uh, Spock is shirtless. Well, that's why, because he does not look like he's capable of the physical acts, right? That he, you know, that he's always doing, right? Well, that's supposed to be genetic, though. It's not like he's, you know, 
taking steroids and working out every day. It's 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 all genetics. It's like yeah, yeah, you know? but still, genetics would. I mean, if you're going to be strong, you have to have muscles. You yeah, I, I guess mean, ge- genetically, the the people who are really strong have a good frame with muscle structure on it. But you know, I'm sure they didn't. I'm sure they weren't like I don't know when they were casting and doing all this. Uh, are we gonna? Um, you think we'll ever have to take your shirt off? You know, I'm sure that <laughs> wasn't like I don't know. Take your shirt off. I mean, today it might be an issue. You know, you might want to go <laughs> right. to the gym before you get ready for your Spock role. <laughs> Coming next summer, Arnold Schwarzenegger is Spock. <laughs> <laughs> It is logical that I kill you. <laughs> All right. We ready to move on? I to think the, we're ready uh... to move on now that we're... All right. It's not... We're out of our wheelhouse doing <laughs> Arnold impressions. Yeah, if Arnold's showing up, then we're out of steam, <laughs> I think. All right. Do you want me to... Uh... To just forge right into the... Go ahead and just plow right in, man. All right. Well, the the comic-y book this month is DC Star Trek with the magic Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy number of 42. (laughs) This is from September of 1987. 75 Center. And um, the cover... what I could read, it said Bro and Louis, Louis, so I'm thinking, what was Br- Browzowski? Maybe? It's uh, Joe, uh, what's his name? Br- Brzezowski, I Brzezowski. think. And the Louis, the, the name didn't ri- uh, ring a bell to me. Who is that classic Robert Louis Stevens? It's it's Robert Louis is the, is the inker, uh, which is a name I'm not familiar with, but I like this cover. Yeah, I think it's actually really sharp. Although there is a massive gaping hole in the Enterprise that I think would have killed everybody in the uh, in the in the pri- is that the primary or secondary? Is engineering the primary hall or the secondary hall? I forget. I don't know. There's, I can see but at least three different levels exposed. Right? So. Yeah, it's it's it is. It's a massive gaping wound in the Enterprise. Um, we have uh, Mike Carlin as a as our writer, and we'll have things to say about him. I'm sure. Soon, <laughs> Tom Sutton, the penciler, Ricardo Villagran, the inker, Augustin Moss, letter, Michelle Wolfman, colorist, and Robert Greenberger, the editor. And I forgot to na- write down the name of this story. This story is what is it? The Corbamite effect. The Corbamite effect. I think you should give them a, ch- a choice. It should either be the Corbomite effect or it's the Muppet Show. One <laughs> of the two. How about how about we beasties or something like that? <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Scotty goes a little nuts. The Enterprise gets hit by a meteor storm by surprise, and a glitch in the shields lets some of the meteors through. And Kirk cuts himself while shaving. Kirk chalks it up to one of those things and sets Scotty on it. Scotty puts his already overworked crew into the diagnostic of the Enterprise. Then they get a message from the Federation president himself who wants to send them to check back on Gamma Trianguli 6, 
where Kirk roached their computer lizard head back in the apple. <laughs> but this is not going to be a retread story. At least not this issue. Not yet. There are more glitches. A malfunctioning airlock and spacesuit almost blows the engineering crew into space. Not sucking them into space. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. When McCoy stops down to see the exhausted Scotty, he tells the doctor he knows what is causing the problem. Oh, no. It's gremlins. Magui. Magui. Even though there's no midnight in space, someone's fed some gremlins. No, anyway. McCoy sends him to sickbay. <laughs> good, good call, McCoy. Telling Kirk that his chief engineer has, quote, unquote, snapped. But, of course... That happened last month when he brutally attacked another crewman <laughs> by sucker punching him in the gut. Still, I'm thinking that, by the way, I think that his spleen ruptured and he died between books because there is no mention of Bear Claw. So I think he actually pulled a Houdini on him is what, what happened. It, 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 it very well could be. Yeah, Bear Claw didn't have time to do his, his Indian... American Indian meditation and tense up his muscles before Scotty <laughs> caused massive internal injuries. But still, Scotty persists in his gremlins story and Kirk puts him under orders to relax. As the accidents keep mounting, Scotty becomes more unhinged, reading his big giant Gaelic storybooks in bed. <laughs> Calling the, grem calling the gremlins Corbamites randomly. And even, it just starts calling them, after, just stops calling them gremlins and just starts calling them Corbamites. And even trashes his room Keith Moon style with a phaser. <laughs> so Scotty, clearly not insane at this point, has a plan. He waits until the third shift when everybody's asleep. And Mr. Potato Head is at the helm <laughs> and gets him to power down the ship for 15 minutes. He then camps out in a photon torpedo tube, perfectly sane, perfectly normal, with an old gas engine, which is apparently catnip for gremlins. And sure enough, his prey is lured in and then trapped in the only piece of operating machinery in the... Enterprise at the time. When the ship powers up, Scotty launches a torpedo, which actually snags the the gremlin on a abandoned like space marker, trapping the whatever tra whatever I don't know what the hell is supposed to have happened there. And uh, but good thing Scotty isn't nuts because all those actions might have been a little suspicious if he was. But Kirk's willing to look the other way, laugh off a power down of life support and a missing torpedo. It's time to go mess with the people of Gamma Trianguli 6 again. <sighs> wow. And that closes the book on Star DC Star Trek number 42. And thank you for listening to Star Trek Monthly Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, you know what? The Scotty in this reminded me of like if we got Randy to play Scotty and we were like, <laughs> okay, your Scotty <laughs> believes in gremlins and wee beasties and stuff. Oh boy. Yeah. 
This one goes from not so good to what the hell? <laughs> I mean, it runs the full gamut of wow. Yeah, just the wow. chief engineer for a ship. An engineer, the person who reads his technical manuals for fun. Right? This is a scientific-minded person. When things start going awry on the ship, he immediately concludes... It, dude, he's the dude from Ancient Aliens. <laughs> Scotty just sitting there, looks at you with his hair all messed up and goes, Gremlins! It's Gremlins. It's Gremlins. It's got to be. I haven't seen a Gremlin. I've never seen a Gremlin. But I have a big storybook of Gaelic legend... That tells now, about a- that storybook. What? Yeah, for one thing, it literally does look like a giant <laughs> child. One it's, of those big cardboard. It's like he's got cover. a copy of Destroy in his. <laughs> but the cover's on the wrong side. It, oh, I unless know. he's reading it back. Maybe it's anime or something. He's reading it. You know, don't they go backwards yes, to forwards? Yes. Or something? Yeah, oh, but geez. I still think they put the cover on the front cover of the book. I'm not sure yeah. though. I'm not sure. I'm sure our listeners will know, but yes, it's it's only on it's it, the title is only on there so we know that he's reading his Gaelic storybook. Uh, all you have to do is flip it around the other way. And that's and that's what he's using as his reference. It's a book. It's like it's like us pulling out one of those were they time life books, you know. You know? <laughs> right. Legends of, you know, legends of the ancient Gaelics and going, ah, okay, here, this, this explains our, our problem. <laughs> in, in defense, a little bit at least, of the book, at least there is one sensible moment in the entire book where, where Scotty confides in McCoy, who he continually calls Bones and Doc, which really annoys me. And he confides in him that he knows what's wrong with the ship. The Enterprise, she's got gremlins. And McCoy just has this look on his face like, what? All right. And he's like, uh, yeah, um, Let's go ahead and get you checked into sick bay. He goes just for a routine checkup. I assure. I love that part because it, it that what he should have been doing is just putting the do. hypo right in his he's neck like, right there. Yeah. Um. And then Kirk comes down. He's like, Yeah, you know. Um. I don't know how to tell you this, but uh, he's batshit crazy, dude. He's talking about gremlins. <laughs> but then it kind of just falls apart again because they. I mean, they're they're obviously concerned and everything, but they kind of actually humor him about this a little bit. It, it's like halfway no, that's, between that's humoring him and taking him a little bit. Like, well, maybe there's some. We'll look into it. And I'm like, no, your your chief engineer is talking about gremlins. Dude needs more than just a, a, yeah. a three day yeah. three day weekend. And then know? he gets up in the middle of the night and powers down the ship, including the life support <laughs> systems, and then hangs out in the in the <laughs> tubes. With a with a you know a gas engine that should uh, I'm assuming it has exhaust in it and he's in a Jeffrey's tube so shouldn't he be dead about 15 minutes in at least even goofier than he was 10 minutes before <laughs> from lack he's, of oxygen he's sucking a tailpipe exactly 
So, you know, I mean, it, it seems All like right. he's insane and has this long, convoluted suicide plan or something where he's going to launch himself. Yeah, whatever. But, I mean, for one and, – and another thing is Mr. Potato Head's a wimp, man. If I was – you know, he had the con and, you know, Scotty just walked up and was like, power down, you know. Oh, my God. I just realized something. Page 17, second panel. That's Ralph from the Muppets. No kidding. Right there. In f- You've got Mr. Potato Head. You've got whoever the hell that is. She looks like Infectious Lad, the last from the uh, Legion of Substitute Heroes. You've got Beldar Conehead. And then you've got Ralph from the Muppets. You can't live with him. <laughs> without him. I take myself for a walk and then go to bed. Yeah, and 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 when he does, when he does, like I need you to shut down the ship for fifteen minutes. He's got sweat and he's he looks like a crazy man. He's holding mm-hmm. a sack in his to his yeah. chest. I, you know the 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 Star Trek nerd in me will never forgive myself if I don't point this out. And I know this is super super nitpicky and geeky, but I gotta say it. All right, so they power down the ship on page 17, right? Mm-hmm. And then he lifts up a panel in the floor. Now, this is actually kind of cool that there is a, a little escape route there that I never heard of before, but it's kind of neat. And he says, uh, what's he say? Ought to take me at least eight minutes to walk down to level five. All right, and, and immediately I started thinking, wait, 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 wait. But I, I could buy that, except that two panels later, He's in engineering. For one thing, it says level 12 on the door. But he's in engineering (laughs) because he's back at his workstation with that chick that he was talking to earlier Mm -hmm. in the book. So he's in the other hall. He's in engineering. I'm sorry, but you cannot, with no power whatsoever and using nothing but crawl spaces, ladders, and and Jeffrey's tubes, you couldn't go from the, the, the primary bridge to engineering in eight minutes. I'm saying that's just not happening, especially when you're an old fat dude. Carton in a gas engine. I'm sorry, Jimmy Dillon, but you know, it's funny. His were... weight varies in this. Oh uh, yes, it does wildly. Yes. I mean, one panel, he looks literally like, like captain kangaroo. And then the next panel, he's all felt. And Oh yeah, it's, you know, yeah, it's pull- I'm nope. tired of pussyfooting around, dude. The art sucks in this issue. It's really bad. The only things that are good are the ship shots. The ships, the, uh, the Enterprise still looks really good on the outside, but the interior, I mean, the. There's the, all sorts the of weird faces, things, too. The- There's like bug motorcycle things, like driving around in the hallways and stuff. That's on page mm-hmm. 19. Yep. Yeah. It, it's it's really not good art at all. I was I was really oh yeah you know I didn't even see the bug motor. What the hell is that? Exactly, thing? it's like some maintenance thing or something. I don't know. I've never seen anything or, like that in Star Trek. I do. Uh, you know, I got to pull up my notes. I do have a number of of notes that I I felt like I needed to point out. All right. I had a note here about the shaving thing because that was bugging me a lot. But then Kirk does say later in the in the comic that it was some sort. What does he call it? Uh, it's not an electric razor, but it was a um, 
energy razor. And I'm like, all right, uh, I can buy that. Uh-huh. Now, I know it's probably not canon, but I know at some point or other I read something, and it was probably one of those books, you know, just one of the novels, but something about, uh, what do they call it, like a beard suppressor? <laughs> so they don't necessarily shave. Yeah. I just, I found the idea, because you know, right at the beginning of the, uh, the book, I think it's page, yeah, page two, second panel, that looks like Kirk with a bick yep. is what it looks like. You know, he's got he's got shaving cream on his face. He's got a um, what do you call those? Not a sink, but a um, a basin, like a basin yep. full of water. And I'm thinking it's the 23rd friggin' century. Please don't bust my bubble and tell me we're still using a goddamn bick to shave. Well, he might be being old fashioned. That's true. You know, that's a that's actually a really good uh, no prize for it because yeah, he is all about the antiques and everything. So okay, I'll get gi- I'll give you that. That's actually a really good explanation. But yeah, I just saw that and thought, no. All right, here's a good one for you. Bottom of the same page, next to last panel, above Kirk, where there was no turbo lift door. I'll remind you on the first page, on the <laughs> splash page. Suddenly there's a turbo lift. Kirk's just come up. And what does it say right above Kirk's head? Do you see it? I'm still paging back, man. I can okay. only page back one at a time. <laughs> I'll help you out. It says, it says freak. <laughs> it says elevator. Oh. All right. For one, no, it doesn't say this in real life. Also, when the hell have you ever heard them call Take the, the el- turbo elevator. elevator in Star Trek? I don't remember them ever doing that. And this really does become the Muppet show really fast in this book. Because, I mean, I can forgive the opening splash. I thought there were, I mean, everybody's an alien except the one human dude all the way in the back. So my first thought was, okay, I'm all about the cultural cultural diversity. And I think, didn't they make a reference about this was going to be some new experiment with... Right. Or am I using my Star Trek stories? Well, I can't. they had a Horda and... Right. But there's just way too many... It, it looks like Jabba's Palace from Return of the Jedi. But then you turn the page, and that bottom of page two, it just starts to get ridiculous. You've got, you know, you've got a pig, you've got a snail, you've got a cat. I'm like, come on, really? It just, It's just silly. Kirk's jacket is... In addition to being about three sizes too, it's like he's wearing, it's like a little kid wearing dad's clothes. They're all baggy and ill-fitting, but it's also like a like a maroon type of color, and everybody else's is like the red like a, color, like an orange red. So he actually looks like evil mirror universe Kirk. It's really strange between the the art and the inking. And the coloring, I just it's just not pleasant to look at. I really don't like the look of the issue. Now, I did think it was nice to see shift change. I, I always like this idea when they do this. I, I only ever remember them doing it a couple of times. And actually never on original Trek. I remember them doing it on Next Gen. But this is also really weird because it raises the question of, okay, I I like that you threw me a bone and you showed me that these guys are not the only ones on duty ever and that there are other shifts. So they, you know, they do get rest. But then you've got all of your senior staff on one shift. Does that seem right or efficient? I mean, Kirk 
you know, you got Kirk as the captain, you got Spock's the, you know, the second officer. So shouldn't he be in command of a shift? Or maybe your third officer? Or what? I mean, but you've got everybody. Is Spock you even in this at all? Hmm. I don't think that he even shows his face. He is. Yes, he is, because there was also a uh, segment oh, that right. me at the end. Where the right, so ceiling comes down, yeah. Well, he's in that part, but then at the very end of the issue, they're in uh, Scotty's quarters. At least I assume this is Scotty's quarters. And Kirk's kind of giving him the third degree. What the hell is Kirk and Spock wearing here? These are not uniforms. Nothing. It's like they, hardly anything's it's like right in out, this. Yeah, it's like they're headed out to the nightclub or something. Kirk, Kirk, Kirk's got Kirk and Spock both have white turtlenecks, which, granted, that is what is actually underneath those red jackets is the, these white turtlenecks. But then Kirk's got like a blazer, and and Spock's got I don't know what that is. It's like a cross between robes and a science lab coat or something i it's not neither one of them are in uniform is my point i i don't know what this is that they're i don't know if they're about to beam down no there's nowhere to beam down to because they're out and they're out by the space booth. exactly yeah Kirk I mean, looks like he's just like cold and like got his jacket on of course in there in his short sleeves though yeah I don't know, are there clubs on the Enterprise? Maybe they're going clubbing yeah. or something. Let me go out and... Uh, I, I have no idea. Uh, yeah, I don't think... Yeah, don't... Yeah, careful. Put too much thought into this. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's see. I'm sorry, but I do have some other ones on this. You know, there was a, a thought that uh, never occurred to me before. Scotty gets awakened in the middle of the night by the meteor shower. So he heads down to engineering, comes up with a brilliant, you know, after ca- talking to Kirk and Kirk's like, all right, Scotty, I expect you to fix it. Then Scotty gets on the ass of the woman who he relieves, you know, down in engineering. She mm-hmm. was basically, she was third shift engineering. Well, she tries to tell him, dude, I'm leaving. I'm off shift in like 10 minutes. I don't want to deal with this bullshit. And he says something to her about, Hey, just think of the overtime. And I'm thinking, what overtime? <laughs> yeah, you know, wait, how does that work in a moneyless society? Okay, it just got me to thinking some strange things. How do they handle overtime? He said what something like you're going to one guy said something like, ah, "I don't mind building up the extra credit or whatever, or you know, points right. or something like that." Right. Oh, yeah, it's when she goes outside the ship. Uh, he says uh I realize you got your downtime waiting. And she says, no sweat, sir. I can use the extra credits. So they are being paid. So when I realized that question. Well, maybe the credit is towards gaining rank or something. Who knows? You know, maybe after so many hours logged in doing certain jobs, you move up in rank or something. But just the simple fact that there is some form of payment system means. Is there an hours budget? Is Kirk or Spock having to sit down every week and do and the schedule? <laughs> do the schedule and oh man, you know I've got three more hours to fill, and I've you know I, I you know I'm sorry, Sulu, I just you know yeah. I, I can't get you your forty hours this week. You know I, I tried, dude, but you know. But I was going uh, to the bathhouse. You know Kelso, you know he 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 got shorted on hours last week, so I, I got to give him twelve more hours this week, and you know so I'm sorry. And, 
She was like, you know, I, I got a little girl back, to, you know, back on Earth to pay for, dude. You know, come on. I got to send that alimony check every month. <laughs> I just got to thinking about this shit. And it's like, okay, you know, because there's got to be some sort of internal structure to it, you would think. All right, anyway, enough about that. Here's my, actually, this really was a major nitpick for me. Um, since when the hell do they take their marching orders from the UFP pr- president? This makes no sense at all. When they, they you know, Ahura, for one thing, I did find this amusing that as soon as Ahura comes on shift, she goes, I don't believe it. The minute I get in, uh-huh. she goes message coming in. I just thought that was funny. She's bitching about work. I thought that was actually really funny. So she lets Kirk know that there's a message coming in, and he says, put it up on the screen, and it's the president. And he's, he's all right, here we go. I mean, I'm just going to read it. He says, greetings, Captain Kirk, Enterprise, blah, blah, blah. He says, uh, I come to you now with details on your next assignment. And he tells them all about, you know, it's been 20 years since they've been to this planet, where we really want you to go back and just kind of check in with these guys. And I'm thinking... Wait, what? I mean, he's the president of the United Federation of Planets. Nothing whatsoever to do with Starfleet. He's not in Starfleet. He he doesn't order around Starfleet. He's he's not part of Kirk's command structure. So why the hell is he the one that's contacting them to I mean It'd be different if he was contacting them to say, you know, greetings, you know, I've got permission from your people to, to speak with you about that. We'd really like you to do this. Would that be okay with you? I could understand that. But no, he's clearly ordering Marching him orders. to this. Yeah. yeah, and that does not wash. I'm sorry. That, no, that was a bridge too far. No, 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 no. <laughs> they do not take their orders from the Federation president. It just doesn't work. Well, that it's way. obvious the writer doesn't know what's going on because if Kirk had anything to do with it, he'd be like, "Who are you?" <laughs> exactly. And ultimately, and I really hate to say, why this does the UFP I... president need a spaceship? <laughs> right, right. It, it makes me feel like I'm, I'm, like I'm down on Mike Carlin, and I want to be very clear that I'm not. I, I think Mike Carlin's a great comic writer and he was a a really good editor for superman and everything so i'm not down on mike carlin but this is clearly a case of the writer being very mismatched with the material that he's writing because i don't think he understands star trek i just at least no it was like oh the engineers he's irish he's scottish so gremlins right is that even a is that a scottish thing it's not. That's the thing. <laughs> Leprechauns, maybe. That's an Irish thing, isn't it? That's I, that's as closer to Scottish than than <laughs> Gremlins. Gremlins were a World War Two right thing, you know, from U from American um, fighter pilots, right. I didn't think it had anything to do particularly with anybody being I know I know that like the Japanese had like foo fighters or something like that or I don't know had their own version of them but yeah The only <sighs> other note I had on this was there was a mention in the letters page that kind of piqued my interest cuz I think you and I were just talking about this not long ago um there was a question that was asked it said they're talking about Who's Who in Star Trek, which was being published right around this same time. 
And it says, uh, there was a question that was asked. It says, John Byrne's art was fantastic. And it really was, too. It was good. It says, it was nice to see that Narrett, uh, uh, nice to see Narrett drawn like a real Horda. I would love to see him draw a full issue. And there was a response from the editor saying, uh, thanks. John has expressed interest in drawing a story with writer Mike Carlin. So we'll see how schedules work out. But I'm almost positive that that didn't happen. Materialized. But we remember we were speculating about that. Hey, why did John Byrne, if he loves Star Trek so much, why did he never do a Star Trek story for DC? And according to that, anyway, he he was interested in doing it. So I would I would guess this being 87. He was pretty. He had a pretty full plate. He, well, he was busy, but also uh, I'm not sure exactly. Let me see. Is there a checklist in this issue? I don't think there is. But, you know, he was with DC, but I don't think it was very far in the future after this where he had his falling out and, uh, and left. Because he abruptly, I don't know if you remember this, but he abruptly just yeah. stormed off. You know, he, he got fed up with some things that were going on behind the scenes with DC and with uh, Superman. And uh, after he knocked out Superman number 22, that was it. He was like, um, that's it. I'm done. So that's probably what happened. But it's a shame. I would have liked to have seen a, a Star Trek story by Byrne back then, especially if this is the best that they could manage at mm-hmm. the time. Is wow, I was <laughs> not impressed with this issue at all. I liked the cover, and that was about the nicest thing I could say. I about did, it. While I was I'm reading it, I was sure. going, "This is going to be fun to talk about." Oh boy, <laughs> that's about it. Not not much more than that. Yeah. You know, I I do enjoy you know just taking something like this and just you know ripping it up. But at the same rate, it would be nice. You know, I, I, it's fun to be do nice that. Nice to have some great track stories. Yeah, exactly. It'd be nice to just have a really solid read once in a while too, instead of stuff that you can all you can the best you can do is just make fun of it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't even think that was every uh, problem I had. After a while, I just had to stop taking notes. I was like, all right, I've got plenty. <laughs> Yeah, there's just there's so much in here that just doesn't work. It doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. Oh, it's just... I mean, at the very end of the story, Scotty is completely effusive with them. He won't... He refuses to answer simple questions. Because Kirk and Spock and McCoy come to him and they're like, uh, we're going to kind of need you to explain just what what the hell were you doing last night? Why did you have them shut the ship off? And explain. where's my torpedo? Yeah. Yeah. And, and he completely evades every, he lies to them. Oh, no. He says it's a tad late and I might have been a bit tired. And then blames <laughs> it on the Corbomites. Yeah. <laughs> he, I would have had him on Thorazine in a second. Here's the best part. So, uh,. <laughs> is mccoy's hair green in that part by the way he says you're not buying any of this are you jim <laughs> and, and kirk says let's just say i'm skeptical and scotty literally this is literally what it says it says you're not still of the mind that i'm out of mine are you sir and i'm thinking <laughs> yes yes we pretty much are dude it would be remiss of us not to be <laughs> exactly you are at the very least confined to your quarters, you crazy bastard. <laughs> Until we figure out what that what was that shit all about. Go to your quarters, Scotty. You're drunk. Now I want to know: is there like a giant 
circuit breaker switch somewhere on the on the bridge where they just if they flip it like all the power goes out yeah that would be awkward if like you know kirk sets his coffee down on it or something yeah there must be because that's just sort of how it happened and and how much or how little power running is is powered off you know, consider to be powered off. Because if they literally flipped the switch that turned off all the power, he wouldn't be able to go from the bridge to engineering. All the lights would be off. Yeah. Well, his first line when he gets to engineering is, my eyes are starting to get used to the dark. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. If every light's... If there's no power and you're in outer space... It's not like you're getting moonlight coming through the window right. that your eyes eventually adjust to. You're in pitch friggin' blackness. Yep. <laughs> you're gonna be... <laughs> oh, it's just ridiculous. It's completely ridiculous. It makes no sense. I'm sorry. Oh, man. I did have a, a field day with this, though. You know, if you, if you were to just take these panels on pages... Uh, 18 and 19 and just not pay any attention to the dialogue whatsoever. It actually looks like Scotty is grilling out. Doesn't it? It looks like he has yeah. one of those, one of those newfangled like round grillers in the backyard. And he's like cooking hamburgers or he's something. A, yeah. He's having a little tailgate party. <laughs> he's got like the George Foreman yeah. grill going. <laughs> he's got his old, outboard motor with him oh that was the other thing i did not write this down because i wasn't completely sure of my facts i I actually i I wish i'd had a chance to to call my dad about this today but he says oh where the hell is it there was a line here i was like i don't think so oh here it is he says uh tis a shame to be wasting all this uh all this hard-to-come-by gasoline I've been hoarding. Mm. Uh, I don't think I'm so. I'm sure you could just order yourself up a nice little glass of it on... With the... You know, if they can synthesize food, why wouldn't they be able to synthesize them up some gasoline? I guess that's possible. I was thinking more of... He makes it sound like he's been storing gas. I don't think you can store gas, can you? Uh, I've heard you've stored some gas. (laughs) (laughs) Totally different. But no, I'm serious. I I don't think you can do that. I I think that doesn't it go it's it's like a soda. It goes stale after a while. Yes. Yeah. It'll still it'll still work, but not too well. Yeah. Mm. All right. I've had enough of this issue. I have issues with this issue. Yeah, definitely. Well, normally then, that means it would be time to fire up the old Star Trek computer. But we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that this time around. Why, you ask? Cheating. We're cheaters. We are completely cheating. Because it occurs to me that um, while we will not be covering a TOS comic next time, or will we? What do you think? We could. We could cover the first half of it. It depends. We'll, we'll decide later on whether we will or not. But anyway, the next... <coughs> pardon me. The next issue, I believe the next two issues of the series, if I'm not mistaken, 
involve a story that is uh, a sequel to a, an episode that we have not covered yet called The Apple. So instead of using the uh, random number generator and picking a random episode, we are actually going to just go ahead and do the apple for next time so that you're getting the backstory of the next comic story. That makes sense? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's late and I'm tired. I'm not sure if I'm making any sense at all. But that's what we're doing next time around. What else you got, Freak? I got nothing. I got nothing either. I all am I, dry. All I gotta say is... You've listened to Star Trek Monthly Monday, the original series. Now go listen to Star Trek Monthly Monday, the next generation. <laughs> yep, because which we have to go record. Yeah, so and go I'm just gonna tell. I'm just gonna tell you one thing: crush your camel toe. <laughs> Be there. You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Visit our brand new website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook, too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. We were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.